Good morning, everybody. My name is Jill Williams. I am one of the pastors here at Covenant Presbyterian Church, and what a privilege it is to be with you this morning. Something about singing that last song was actually transporting me back to my childhood and just the mystery of what is going on here. And I share with you guys, some of the Covenant folk know this, but as a kid growing up in Florida, I grew up in a family where many years we were rarely in worship. And coming to something like this today was so mysterious to me, and I expect there might be some mystery in this for some of you today, and there's mystery in all of this this morning. There's nothing more mysterious than the resurrection. So that is where we are going to focus our attention this morning, but welcome everyone again. What What a joy, how good and right it is for us to be together this misty Easter morning. So nearly 2,000 years ago, on the very first Easter, one woman, according to John's Gospel, which is what we are going to be reading in just a few moments together, one woman walked toward a tomb with absolutely, in her mind, no reason for hope. A week earlier, Jesus had entered the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to all sorts of pomp and circumstance, to shouts of praise and great joy that the king had come to rescue the people. But by the end of the week, Jesus is dead and buried. As far as Jesus' followers were concerned, the week was a complete disaster. They had loved him. They had devoted their lives to him. They had left everything behind to go and to spend time with him, to allow him to teach them and to learn what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. He gave them reason to believe that God had come in order order to liberate God's people and to show forth God's power. But it seems now that their hopes had been nailed to a cross. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, if you lay them side by side, they paint for us the full picture of what happened on that first Easter Sunday morning. From Mark's Gospel, we know that the women who loved Jesus deeply, that they had stayed behind until this morning so that they could go and perform a really important ritual, the the preparation of a body, the anointing of a body for burial. We know from John's gospel that the disciples had fled out of fear, that they are tucked away in some upper room in fear for their life. Most all of them had stayed in Jerusalem. That's where we find ourselves now this morning. Pastor and seminary president and my friend Mark Laberton. He shares the story of sitting on an airplane with a nearly completed manuscript of a book. He has written a couple of books. He was sitting on a plane with this manuscript on his lap next to a woman who he decided pretty quickly was a nosy neighbor. The woman looked over at him with a manuscript, a pretty thick one on his lap, and she looked over at him and said, is is that a manuscript for a book? And are you the author? And Mark quickly said, yes, he wasn't 
trying to engage in any kind of conversation with this woman. She looked back at the manuscript and looked back at him and said, and let me back up and say this book, by the way, theologian Mark tends to write books about the love of Jesus and about a living God who comes to make all things new and how love for God and love for neighbor cannot be separated from one another. So he's got this book on his lap, the woman asking him if he's the writer. She looks at him and says and asks, is that a work of fiction? Is that a work of fiction? And Mark looked at her and said, no, but then he caught himself and said, actually, that is the real question. He said for the rest of the flight, he caught himself in just a long pondering trance, asking himself, is this a work of fiction? From the start, people and followers of Jesus have wondered the very same thing. Is this all real? I ask you to hold that question in your mind and in your hearts as we now turn to this morning's scripture, as we step into the story of that first Easter as a woman named Mary of Magdala heads to the tomb. If you're reading along in your Bibles, this is John 20, beginning with verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been laid on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. God's good word for us. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may it all be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, we pray that together. And Lord, we do also pray. As this story is about seeing, we pray for ourselves and for the ones beside us that we may see Jesus more clearly. Amen. Author Pico Iyer, who is an essayist who publishes in quite a few places, he uh, officially is connected with Time magazine. He wrote an essay titled, Death Be Not a Stranger. In this essay, he tries to come to grips with making peace about death. Here is some of what he says. One reason why we cannot seem to learn to die of course, is that death is the one great adventure of which there are no surviving accounts. Death is what happens to somebody else. Yet death is more certain than love and more reliable than health. Friends, we do believe that we have surviving accounts. Solid history is documented by four individuals, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Holding within those documents, there are so many people named, begging us, inviting us to, to look at this as if it is historical evidence. Jesus walks around. We don't hear this in the story. He walks around for weeks. There are so many eyewitnesses who give testimony and account to seeing a risen Christ. The story invites us to check facts. It's as if we are placed into the story to view the evidence for and against Jesus. Let's look at the different resurrection responses of the people that we just read about in today's scripture. First, you have Mary. It is most unusual that a woman is so prominent in the story as an eyewitness account. In fact, all four Gospels together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all have women as the first eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus. If this was a made-up story by the early church, it was a really stupid decision to have women as the first eyewitnesses because at that time, in that place, women were not considered to be credible witnesses the Jewish courts did not even accept the testimony of women as valid testimony. Mary is looking for a corpse. She is not looking for a risen Jesus. But when Jesus speaks one word, her name, right? Mary. 
She knows that it's Jesus and not the gardener, as she thought prior that it was. Her eyes are opened. Jesus is not a fantasy man, but instead he is a resurrected man, a man who listens and talks and can be touched. But he has been changed in some way because she doesn't recognize him at first. Peter and John, they race to the tomb. I love that part of the story. There's some sort of foot race going on, and the younger one wins. Not a surprise. Although the risen Jesus is not seen by these two guys, they see the evidence of a resurrection. The tomb is empty. So what does John do? John immediately sees and believes. He is a model disciple. Oddly, the story is silent about Peter the great leader of the church, Peter. Peter and others will need an appearance of Jesus. It's the honesty of all of these resurrection appearances that give us hope and empower our moments of doubt. It is okay to be confused and bewildered sometime. I'd actually like to invite us to to sit with the whole idea of doubt for a moment. The opposite of faith is not doubt. It's unbelieving. Faith and doubt can coexist. It is really important to understand that because we all have faith that commingles with doubt at moments in our life. Doubt is honest, and constructive doubt can lead to faith. The 19th century theologian Soren Kierkegaard suggests that for one to truly believe in God, one would also have to have times of doubting one's belief. For doubt is the rational part of us that weighs evidence, that searches for truth and light, so that a person's belief eventually will be a belief of real substance. Doubt as a path towards belief lies at the heart of the story of Thomas which comes later in this same chapter in John's Gospel, the 20th chapter of John's Gospel. Thomas needs to see and to touch Jesus in order to believe. He acts like a person from Missouri, the show-me state. Faith for him is more daunting. Thomas provides a template for all subsequent disciples, including us who don't get the experience of actually seeing and touching a physically resurrected Jesus and who are challenged to believe. An amazing part of the story of Thomas found later in this chapter is that Jesus does not rebuke him for doubting. He does not say, Thomas, that is pitiful and terrible that you have questions and that you have doubt. He doesn't get after him for needing some sort of proof, but Jesus does say, blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Blessed are those who have not seen but yet come to believe. But friends, there is danger in doubt. You can be overcome with doubt. The root meaning of doubt is two or double. It's the idea of being double-minded. To doubt is to be of two minds. There's a Chinese expression that likens doubt to having one foot in two boats. 
There is nothing wrong with honest doubt and wrestling and examining and asking questions. But you don't want to camp there forever. Eventually, you will have to declare where your allegiance lies. You'll have to choose which boat you are going to stand in, which definitely leads every one of us to a leap of faith. I'd like to share with you, actually, before I share with you, I want to share with you about a young child named Amanda who has really, her story has impacted me. But before we talk about or listen to Amanda's story, I'd like to remind us and take us back to those early disciples. One key way, friends, that we know that the resurrection is real is by looking at the early disciples of Jesus Christ because their lives were truly changed. The rapid growth of the early church is unexplainable. It is completely unexplainable apart from an empty tomb. Most of the early witnesses came to faith in Jesus as the resurrected Lord, not because they could not find his dead body, but instead because they saw a resurrected Jesus. They found Christ alive. At least nine of the original apostles gave their lives for saying that Jesus walked out of a tomb. They were transformed from a group of people that cowered in fear in an upper room to a people of unwavering belief and commitment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Prior to the resurrection, Peter lied to save himself. After the resurrection, he would not deny allegiance to Jesus Christ even when his life was in danger. Peter was ultimately hung upside down and crucified on a cross. He would not deny Jesus, he saw something that changed him. Something real happened to change a very large people in a very powerful way. We don't really know how it happened, but we do know that those disciples saw that something happened. There was a clear impact on the people who saw this event. The resurrection is no illusion. It is no fantasy. It is no dream. And because of that, there are over 2 billion people now who are following Jesus Christ. So Amanda, someone I heard about because of my friend Cindy, who happens to be a member here a part of this particular church family. Amanda was an energetic, healthy kid growing up in Georgetown who loved animals and swimming and floating in a pool and being with her family, just like most other kids. When all of a sudden, a little over two years ago, she began dragging her left leg. A week later, the whole left side of her body began really losing strength. And then an MRI showed the devastating news that there was a tumor the size of a walnut there at the bottom of her brain stem at the top of her spine. 
Because of the delicate location of the tumor, the surgeon was only able to get a third of the tumor removed. Chemotherapy and radiation followed. It was during this time that my friend Cindy met Amanda because Cindy is a physical therapist and Amanda needed to do PT for the left side of her body. It was as if she had had a stroke. Amanda worked hard to regain strength and continued living life with love and with joy, however, despite all the best efforts to kill the cancer. And after so much, 12 months actually of treatments and infusions, sadly the cancer continued to grow and to have its way. This past summer, 10-year-old Amanda who loved wearing turquoise cowboy boots and riding horses. She was having trouble sleeping one night. She was physically uncomfortable and she was anxious. Her dad sat next to her in the bed and asked if she was scared. Amanda said yes. He asked her, what are you afraid of? There was no reply. He asked, are you afraid of dying? And she said, yes. They talked together about the promises of God when all of a sudden Amanda asked, how do you know it's real, Dad? How do you know it's real? They talked about trusting in God and about having faith in Jesus and her faith that she had in Jesus and her dad pointed out all of the fruit of the Spirit in her life that pointed to her love for Jesus. That was the end of the middle-of-the-night conversation. The anxiety that she had never returned. She had the presence of a peace that truly passes all understanding, a peace that can only come from God when the storm clouds are gathering. Last August... Amanda began a very steep decline. Her family was gathered around her. She knew that she was dying. When all of a sudden she began to share with her family what she was seeing. Amanda commented on how things were becoming whiter. There was a new look in her eyes. She was completely alert with a look of awe and wonder. She said the gates were opening and that it was beautiful. Amanda then exclaimed, they're green. Her mom asked, what's green? She said, mom, there are grapes everywhere and they are so green and they taste so sweet. She saw a big table with food on it like a feast, and the people there are rejoicing. Her voice, once fatigued, was now clear and filled with amazement. Amanda's dad, Tom, talked about how they had prayed for some sort of assurance when the time was going to come that God would somehow let them know that their 10-year-old precious baby girl was at home safely in the arms of her God. He likened it to sending your child on a trip and wanting them to call home just to let you know that they have gotten there safely. 
Dad Tom shared that on the day of Amanda's death, they were given so much more as she traveled from life to more life. Friends, the truth of an empty tomb changes everything. It changes everything about death. There is more beyond for those who believe, and it changes everything about life. It changes how we live life right here and now. You don't have to be afraid anymore. The one who knows us so completely in all of our mixture of faith and doubt and fears, how prone we are to fears, the one who knows our name, he longs to be in fellowship with us, in relationship with us. And he longs to bless us, bless us so that we might live life abundant here on earth in life eternal for all the ages. The historical resurrection of Jesus Christ gives life and meaning to everything. Death is not the final word and we have new hope in Christ. Go and share this amazing news with the world. Christ is risen, the Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Would you pray with me? Oh God, how grateful we are for this amazing news that our minds can barely comprehend. We are grateful for Christ's victory over death. We thank you for an empty tomb and for a resurrected Jesus and for all that means for us. God, thank you for coming to restore all creation and for making us new. Bless us with faith and with hope and with love and with vision to live like Jesus. To love you and to love our neighbors, we pray together in the name of Christ. Amen.